0: evening, turn your Bible to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 16, Psalm 139 verses 14 through 16, it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word again tonight. Thank you to these people that have come and their faithfulness. And I pray the Father, as we look in the Word of God, that we would be encouraged and strengthened and challenged and help us to have a right perspective on ourselves and our understanding of, of our Lord and Savior. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, if you read those verses carefully, there's Psalm 139, verses 14 through 16, even the whole chapter. You have to come away to the conclusion that God is very, uh, what's the word I want, very interested in us and very knowledgeable of us. Think about verse 15, 16, verse 15. My substance is not hid from thee, but is made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, my parts that are being formed. Yet being unperfect, in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. In other words, it wasn't complete yet. Uh, <clears throat> you know, to say that, you know, as I've heard people say over the years, that God doesn't care about me, or God's not interested in me. They don't really know the God of the Bible, because he is very interested in in His creation, of course, we are His created beings. So we've been looking at a biblical view of self, and uh, some of the things we've been looking at um, is you know the um, we have to have a proper understanding of who God is, and and uh, a, a true evaluation of ourselves. And we have to under- evaluate ourselves in the eyes of God honestly, and this is the problem that that. That is prevalent in our world today, especially in our in our country and probably other places too, is you know, we, we tend as human beings to compare ourselves with each other. You know, there's always somebody that you can look at and say, well, they're they're more wicked than I am, or I'm better than them. Um and and by the world standards, you could say, Well, my good outweighs my bad, so therefore I must be okay. Uh, of course the Bible tells us that. They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. So we have to evaluate ourselves and our self-image in the eyes of God. Galatians three six three and four says, For if a man think of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. So we have to evaluate ourselves honestly in the sight of God, rather than try and boost up our self-image. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, a, a common practice is some people, you know, run down other people and make yourself look better, but no, we just need to, we just need to prove our own work and let our work speak for itself. I got a letter from a pastor who's become a church planter. Of course, that's the way he did start out to do that anyway, but in, um, an email the other day and. um. And uh you know, I've known this guy for quite a few years, met him on several occasions, and he's of course seeking support and those of fellowship with him and support for his church plant, and I'll read you more about that later. But anyway, I said, Well, I think you've proven to be a battle tested you're a battle proven soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, from what I know about him, I wouldn't even require him to come to the church to present his work because I know who he is and what he has what has been his ministry for an, quite a few years and the stands that he has taken. So, you know, the Bible says here we're to let every man prove his own work. So we have to evaluate ourselves in the eyes of God honestly. And, of course, this requires that we recognize our sinfulness and need to yield ourselves uh, to the Lord. Uh, and and, and another, as we think about that, though, we shouldn't be surprised at our sinfulness, in other words, but he describes it this way: shouldn't be surprised at our sinfulness, but rather be watching, ready to deal with sin in a biblical way. And I said this before: you know, God doesn't want us to sin, but He expects us to. First John one nine says, "If we confess our sin." It doesn't say, if you sin, then you need to confess it. It says, if we confess our sin. So God has taken for granted, or taken into, you know, and, and I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but God has taken for granted that you and I are going to sin. Because we're sinners. That's what sinners do. Even saved sinners. They sin. So, he says, if we confess our sin. You know, in fact, he says... If any man say he does not sin, he's a what? A liar. So we, we ought not be surprised. And I've, I've said this when to, to parents then in trying to, you know, learning proper way to discipline your children. Don't be surprised when they disobey you. Expect it. They're going to. Why? The same reason you and I sin. Because we are sinners. So expect your children, that way you won't be shocked when it happens, and you won't react in a, or tend to react in a wrong way. You know, still sometimes hard not to react to some of the things children do. But, but you know, you need to expect it, because they're going to. The best of children are going to disobey you. And in the same way, we shouldn't be, you know, shocked or, or completely, you know, so, sometimes people get so distraught over their sin that it's it depresses them where and the devil uses that to keep them down. And we must not go there. No, we must be ready and willing to deal with it. Uh, uh, 1 John 2 1 and 2 says, My little children, or uh, yeah, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not if And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he's already there. He's there interceding for us. He's our, he's our mediator. So God has provided that for us. Why? Because he knows we are going to sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So a proper proper understanding of self is recognizing that you are going to sin doesn't mean that you delight in it or are happy that you did. I don't think there's you know a child of God you know sin brings guilt and remorse, but it ought not to cause us to to go into you know depression or because we have failed God any more than we would you know you know turn our children out because they failed us one time, or disobeyed us one time. You know, you correct it. You correct it. And God has has given us the avenue by which we correct it. Uh, so, now, some some identifying marks of an unbiblical view of self. How do you recognize a person who has a non-biblical view of, of themselves? Uh, there's several things, and several uh, things that are mentioned here. And I'll notice several of them. Uh... And basically you can boil these down to an over-attention to self, but it's manifested in many ways. First of all, an overattention on clothes. Look at Matthew chapter 6 verses 27-28. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 27-28. Here's the disciples, you know, and I, and I think uh, the disciples were concerned about some things. After all, they had left all to follow Jesus. They, you know, they're know, they no longer fishing for, for a living. James and John, Peter and Andrew, forsook their fishing. Left their nets with the Father and followed Jesus. Matthew left his tax collecting business to follow Jesus. And the others left whatever whatever pursuits they had in life to follow Jesus, to be with Jesus. And to learn the ministry from Jesus. And we know that they had, you know, there were people that gave things to him because they had a treasurer who, who kept the bag and bare what was put therein. Of course, Judas, you know, that means he kind of helped himself to it. So, so there were things that were given to him, but, but I'm sure there was times where, you know, Peter might have said to, to John, John, do you know if there's enough m- money in that bag to buy us dinner tomorrow? And those are legitimate human concerns. Just like you might say, hmm, do I have enough money for clothes and groceries next month? Now, from a human standpoint, those are legitimate human concerns. But what did Jesus say to his disciples? Verse 25, Matthew 6. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for the body, what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat, the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye, of little faith? So, uh, over attention, a person may emphasize a clothes and, and, and it could be that a rejection of the truth of trusting God. Hoarding up things. You know, some people hoard things, because they think that, you know, Whatever time comes, and you know, uh, it's an, un, an unwillingness to trust God. You know, we can reject God's plan for our life and not trust Him in areas of our life. Therefore, we'll begin to devise our own ways of living. You know, uh, Ephesians two ten says, "For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained." And the word "before ordained" there means to make ready beforehand or prepared. So, which God has before ordained or made ready beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we need to trust God in our every area of our life to direct us and not devise our own ways of living. Um... You know, a good example of this would be when Daniel was confronted with a problem of living the way that pleased God, or going along with what the king commanded. He had a choice: either he could obey God and possibly perish, or he say he could he could have said, "Well, God live. God knows that God live." So I've just got to eat whatever the king sets out here. And I've just got to drink whatever the king sets out here. Now, see, Daniel believed that God had allowed him to be taken captive and that God would provide for him in obedience to his word in Babylon. So he was willing to put God to the test and not disobey God in taking what was offered him. So, we have to trust God. We need to trust God. Uh, that He has made us for His glory and He will provide for our needs. Uh, excessive shyness. You know, I I know that um, a little bit about this because I was, I was very shy. But you know what shyness really is? It's pride. It's pride. It's a matter of you're afraid what other people will think about you or what other people do think about you. Saul, King Saul, he hid himself among the stuff. You know, we'd say that, well, he was kind of shy. Well, maybe it was pride. And that pride did expose itself greatly later on. Um, so Shyness. That's pride. Uh, self-criticism. Persons who complain about their physical features, abilities, parents, social heritage, as well as the environment are indicating an unwillingness to let God have control of their life. You know, Isaiah 45, nine says this, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds on the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, what makest thou, or thy work? He hath no hands. So is the potsherd sure going to say to the potter, "Why hast thou made me thus?" You no. Know, you know we need to accept what God, where God has placed us, and and how God has made us. You know what is, what is homosexuality? What is trans- transgenderism? It's a rejection of who God made them. Now, that's an extreme case. But many times we are, we don't want to accept who we are or who God made us. A, a wishful comparison of others. You know, individuals compare themselves among themselves. 2 Corinthians tells us in chapter 10, verse 12, that they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. In... uh. You know, God, you know, Romans 9.20 s- tells us that, that uh, shall the potter uh, say to the clay, while well, it's thou made me thus. You know, God uses different personalities in different circumstances. You know, I used to, I, when I was young and foolish, now I'm just old and silly, whatever. But anyway, I used to think of myself, well, I wish I could preach like that guy. Then I realized one day, I'm not him. God didn't make me to be him. God made me for a specific purpose. And I just need to strive at fulfilling what God made me for. And not to be looking at everybody else out there like Peter did. John said, Well, what shall this man do? You know what Jesus said in modern terminology? That is none of your business. You follow me, it's none of your business. You see, God, and God uses different people, different personalities in different circumstances. God may have you in your place where you are for a specific reason. I can't, you know, this was kind of brought home to me um, many years ago. I was at a camp meeting and there were some older preachers there that I had a lot of respect for at the time. And uh, this one guy said to me, he said, and I was pastoring in Lee, little Baptist church about this size, you know, in uh, a place where nobody goes to, you know, you just don't drive through Lee, Maine. But anyway, and, uh, and the one guy said, he said, I-, I couldn't do what you do. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. And this other preacher had a large church. And he said, you yeah, know, I couldn't do what you do either. He said, the Lord didn't call me to do it. He didn't choose me to do it. And I learned something that day. Um, so not to compare with others. Uh, expressions of bitterness. Some persons will state, I hate myself. And yet it's impossible that they actually hate themselves. Ephesians five twenty nine says, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Um, so, you know, a lot of that is wanting to retain control. And, and, and God you know, and we have to understand that also that God did not make us as sinners, as unbelievers. He made us. We were wonderfully made, and that my soul knoweth right well. But, but uh, uh, you know, we, we must not be bitter against the, the person we are. Or we'll, we'll see. We'll try to prove that. Uh, perfection. Persons spend an undue amount of time attending to areas of perfection will always be found to have other areas of their life that are an upheaval. You know, if you try to, to be a perfectionist, at one point forsake other things, and again, that become points of pride. Proverbs fourteen fourteen says, "The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself." Proverbs twenty one four says, "A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin." You know, a high look thinks well of himself. Uh, attitudes of superiority, the person who boasts of their achievements and refuses to associate with certain people, showing points of pride. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a, an interesting statement to the church of Corinth. You know, this was a real problem at Corinth, and he wrote to correct it. And, of course, there were those at Corinth who who divided over personalities, pastor personalities, or preacher personalities. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7. These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Or what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hast not received it. So, usually what he's saying here is, look, you people at Corinth that are puffed up, what do you have that you didn't receive from someone else? I mean, if you're educated, where'd you get your education? Somebody taught you, A says, ah, A, ah, apple. Somebody taught you that 2 plus 2 is 5, 4. Uh, You know, somebody taught you all this. So if you have something, it's because you were taught or learned it from somebody else. So, don't think you're a self-made man pulled up by your bootstraps. Because you're not. Now, is there people that have more education than others? Yes, there is. It may be t- partly due to the circumstances growing up, or how they applied themselves. And there are some people that are that are uh, more or educated and more advanced in certain fields than others. You know. Uh, but again, it's not a point of pride. Paul said, you know, Paul said, you know, Paul could have boasted about it, the languages that he knew, but he said. I didn't make myself to differ from Apollos. You know, I I don't know that Apollos knew more than maybe two languages. Most people at that time probably knew at least two languages—probably the Greek that was spoken and and Hebrew if they were Jewish. So they probably knew at least two languages. Although it's believed that Paul spoke as many as six. So, but where did he get it? Where did he learned it from somebody? So who maketh thee to differ from another? Who made me different than you? I couldn't. Work at the in the the uh, was the IT department the city of Raleigh. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't have the first clue what was going on. I couldn't do it with birds. I I know they get this sick, but what to do about it? I don't know. You know. So people are have educated themselves, learned from others in different fields, and we're all different. It's not a point to say, "Well, I'm smarter than him," because I'm just. I was just born that way. Well, so attitudes of spirit, awkward attempts to hide unchangeable defects. A person who spends an undue amount of time hiding their defects is one who has rejected the truth of Scripture. Second Corinthians chapter twelve and verse nine. Second Corinthians twelve and verse nine. Uh, thought I had it wrote down here. Second Corinthians twelve and verse nine. The uh, Paul said he would glory in his infirmities. He said, and he said unto me, "My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, I want you to think a little bit about what the historians say about Paul. They say he was little and ugly. Now we know that he writes when he wrote to the Galatians, he said something about. His eyes—that they would have plucked their eyes out and given them to him, if they could. It's believed he had an eye problem, maybe from when he was struck down the road in Damascus by the light of the glory of God, and you blinded him. And remember, the scales came off his eyes after a number of days. So, and and, you know, it's it's history tells us. Historians say he—that was all—that he was ugly. Uh, and little. They say his presence was weak. The Corinthians said his presence is weak. So he's, he, he's a man that's an appearance of no account. Paul said, I'll go, and he couldn't do anything about it. That was his physical features. He couldn't do anything about it. He said, I'll glory him that the power of Christ may rest upon him. So hide wait, and it's the way God uh, uh, made extravagance, those who spend on it on expensive items to gain admiration acceptance. Uh, Luke twelve, thirteen through fifteen says and one of the companies said unto him, Master speak to my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He said unto him, Man who made me a judge or to divide over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Uh, So, you know, abundance of things does not bring satisfaction. Will Rice said this, quote, and you could sum these up by saying, you know, it's a concern of what other people think or think about me. Will Rice said this, quote, if you look to the world or even another person to affirm what you believe, you believe. Nothing Unquote. So if you're looking for f- affirmation from other people, you're looking in the wrong place. looking in the wrong place. Now we have to look to God. It's He that makes us accepted in the beloved. So how do we gain a biblical view of ourselves? Well, we have to the balance of scriptures. We have to recognize on one side that we are made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. And on the other side, we have to recognize that our heart is deceitful. And there's no good thing in us. So, unless we see both sides, we'll miss the truth of Scripture and thereby get an unbalanced view of ourselves. So, so we think about that, we have to, again, recognize God's design and creation. It is God that made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that my soul knoweth right well. Psalm one hundred thirty nine says. You know God knew all about us and we are being formed. He knows all about us. Second uh, Corinthians twelve and verse ten, again he says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. See, God designed me and created me for Himself. When the Lord would call him Moses, and He told Moses, you know, He wanted him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, and, and Moses said, well, I can't speak. The Lord said, who made your mouth? Who made man's mouth? Do you think God would call you to speak if... You can't do it. That's really what he's saying. Do not I know? I have made you. So, we recognize that we are God's design. We're made for His glory. We should recognize the ba- basic purpose of God in creating us is to have fellowship with God. God wants and desires to have fellowship with us. As I said, He's very interested in us. Psalm 139 points that out. But First John 1, John 1 Verses 1 through 4 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. You see, John saying, look, the purpose that God sent His Son into the world was to bring you into fellowship with Himself. To bring you back into relationship where was lost, into fellowship with the Father and with the Son. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 8 where it says that he, His delights are with the sons of men. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His delights are with the sons of men. Yeah, I don't know if you can kind of get a picture of what that must have been like in the Garden of Eden in, when Adam and Eve were still in their innocence. And the Bible says that in the cool of the day, the Lord God came and called Adam. Where art thou? That was after they had sinned. So it was obvious that prior to that time, that he, would, he would come into the garden and they fellowship one another. Like you and I talk to each other. Of course, that was all loss when they sinned. But that's God's desire. That's God's purpose in creating us. We are the high point of creation. He didn't create animals to fellowship with. Man has a spirit; animals do not. We can recognize, of course, that we have to recognize that salvation is the only way that we can have fellowship with God, that we can be made right in the eyes of God. And once we are saved, we are right in the sight of God. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship. So, we are His work. Uh, Ephesians 1.6 says, we, We've been accepted to the praise of His glory, who hath made us accepted in the Beloved. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, where he talks about you know a list of sins, and among those were the effeminate, and, and, and those that defile themselves with mankind. And then he says, And such were some of you, But now you're sanctified, now you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you are made right with God. That's what justification is. Declared right. Declared righteous. And so we have to recognize that salvation is the only way we can be be made right in the eyes of God. We also have to be aware that our life will be rendered of little value in the work of God... If we do not pursue living a God, you know one of the things that false teachings that I mentioned last Thursday night that's out there is you know you just you just set back the Keswick philosophy you just set back and you just meditate and you just think about God and you just set back and let God take care of everything you don't pursue God or anything like this kind you just kind of let God take care of everything well. No, we have to pursue living for God. We have to, like the song says, "I am resolved, no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight." Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defy himself with the king's need. In other words, he had resolved, he had determined, and he was going to pursue a right way in the sight of God. In first, uh, not first, second Timothy, chapter two verses uh, 20 and 20 through 22, the Bible says this, in a great house, and I believe I was speaking about a church there, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. So, you know, in your house, you got vessels that are used only for certain things. Honorable vessels, and then you got vessels like your floors. Now, a floor is something you use, so in a sense, it's a vessel, but it's not something you eat off of, like you would your dishes. You don't treat them the same. You know, most of us you know, have animals, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, uh, put your dog dish down, or your your your, your uh, not your dog dish, your your leftovers from dinner on your dinner plate and put it on the floor and let the dog lick it clean and say, it's clean. After all, there's nothing cleaner than a tooth, right? Uh, you can say, no, that's a vessel unto honor. It has only certain usages, important usages, and there are certain things I will not do with it. Well, the same is true with us. We can be a vessel of gold and of silver, also wooden of hay, a wooden of earth. Some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he's talking about some sins uh, in the previous chapter, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So that we have to pursue living for God, preparing our own life for Him to use. It's sort of like yielding to the Spirit. If you don't yield... The more you yield to the Spirit, the more He's going to use of you. The less you yield to the Spirit, the less it's going to be used of you. Then we have to pursue it. We also must realize that God's not finished working on us. Philippians 1.6, being come to this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Psalm 138, verse 8 says, He will perfect that which concerneth me. In other words, God's going to work in my life to mature me and perfect that in me that will do His will. That which concerneth me. Uh, We have to realize that God's interested in the interior more than the exterior. He's more interested in, in your heart than He is what's on the outside. You know, if the heart's right, the outside will follow. First Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not in the countenance, or in the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Man looketh in the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Uh, you, you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 2 describes him this way. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comings. And when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. In other words, He looked just like everyone else. If you'd have saw Him in a crowd, nothing would have stood out to say, that's the Son of God. No, it took John the Baptist pointing Him out. See, nobody, Nobody really identified Him until John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God! See, God's interested in the interior more than the exterior. The emphasis should be on building character qualities. Uh, Romans 8.29 <clears throat> 8, says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what we need to be working on. Conforming to the image of his son. Uh, we have to also accept the fact that beauty, brains, and belongings are broad. They're not criteria for happiness. Then, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Psalm 17.15 says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Thy likeness. We, have to be, we need to be ready to sacrifice outward beauty in order to develop character quality. You know, if you read through the Beatitudes, what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for so they shall be filled. And on, and on and on. Nowhere in there does it say, blessed are the beautiful. Blessed are the handsome. Blessed are those who have great physiques. Nothing. Those things are often a curse. They're often a curse. Because people rely on them. No, we have to be willing to sacrifice outward beauty to develop character quality. And then accept the fact that God is doing something special in your life and my life by varying appearances, abilities, parentage, and circumstances. Now, that might be hard to believe, but it is true. God uses different circumstances from different walks of life so that He can have people that can reach different people and different circumstances and different walks of life. I mean, Peter was an apostle to the Jews. Paul was chosen to take the gospel to the Gentiles. You know, so... And look at First Corinthians. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter one. <coughs> Excuse me. First Corinthians chapter one. And you know, and there were some wise people at Corinth. But this is what Paul reminds them. Verse 26 For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Now he didn't say not any, he said not many are called. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confine the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confine the things which are mighty. Base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, and yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You Corinthians... You Corinthians, some of whom were poor, base, wicked, immoral. You've been chosen. You've been chosen. You now, what kind of people lived in Corinth that they were going to have the opportunity to reach? People just like them. People just like them. First Peter nine, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. See, God wants to do something special in your life, because you are He made you different than the guy next to you, or the gal next to you. You know, there will be some people in this world that I I have trouble relating to. I don't know what to say. Howard might. Robert might. Because of our... See, our worldview is affected by upbringing and places we've been. And how we approach people is affected by the cultures we grow up in. You know, I tend to be just straight out blunt. I got along great with Mainers. They just, if they're not interested in church, they just plain right out tell you. They will never say, oh, we'll see you. We'll, we'll, we'll plan on visiting sometime. They, they'd never tell you that. If if they weren't going to come, they just tell you, like one guy said, He said, I'll take the track. But he said, I'm not going to come to your church. Just matter of factly. And I don't know if I've ever heard that here. You know, and I, I kind of like that. I just, you know, my competitive nature got, you know. But, um... You know, so God makes us all different for reasons. But He calls us all to serve Him, and we can all glorify Him with our own personalities and the the, our own little worlds in which we live. So we need to accept what God has done and is doing in our life. Now, how should we respond? And I'll just quickly... It, we need to. If there's flaws in our life, we need to correct them if possible. Deal with sin and correct it. Areas of physical problems, correct as possible. Paul said in First Corinthians 9:27. Of course, we can, we can confess our sin. We know what to do with that. Confess our sin. First, but First Corinthians 9:27, he says, "But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway." So, if we have physical problems that are hindering us, we should correct them, if possible. Paul couldn't do anything about his eye problem. He couldn't do anything about his weakness, his appearance. He couldn't do anything about it. That we just need to accept and learn by the grace of God to live with it. In glory in those unchangeable areas, make them marks of ownership, which remind us that we belong to the Lord. He made us thus. He allowed this. We should use them to motivate us to develop inward qualities. Again, Paul said he would glory in his infirmities. He learned to glory because the grace of God was sufficient in him. He learned to glory in his infirmities that the power of Christ might be manifested in his life because of his weakness, physical weakness. And so, we should thank God. You know, those those... Unchangeable areas of our life that we can't change are opportunities for inner spiritual growth. What does James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 say? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing that, trials worketh patience. If you let patience have our perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Peter describes these trials as uh, <clears throat> in 1 Peter 3-9. through 9, I won't read all for the sake of time, but he said, "...the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul's and then in chapter five, he says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist, steadfast in the faith. There is the pursuing of righteousness. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen." Settle you. So what are those trials for? That will knock off the rough edges that we have. Those areas of our life where we resist obedience to the Lord and bring us into more conformity to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're They're to polish us in our relationship with the Lord. That's what trials are for, to polish us. Just like a, the, the waves on the seashore make over time make the stones smooth. That salt water makes the stones smooth. Think about what the trials that Moses, who was then called the man of God, what made him the man. After all, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7 that he was mighty in word and in deed. He was prepared to be the next Pharaoh. He was a great speaker, he could command audiences, he could lead armies, he was a man of rank in society. God allowed him to be taken from that. Driven from that. And out keeping sheep. <laughs> keeping sheep where nobody knows him. He's just in the He's just a shepherd. A nobody. For 40 years. You know what I think that did for Moses. I think that it helped Moses get over Moses. And he realized, you know what? I can't do this my way. You know, he tried that. When the Egyptian was beating a Jew, he killed the Egyptian. He tried that. He tried doing it in his own strength. But it took 40 years to him to realize, you know what? if this is going to get done, if my people are going to be delivered from Egypt, God has to do it. You see, he needed a right perspective on who he was and who God was. It took 40 years. We need to have a biblical understanding. We have a balance. A balance. Again, the balance is We ought to understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully We are a wonderful creation of God, and yet we have a wicked, deceitful heart. There's nothing good in us, and it's God that makes us right with Him and enables us to glorify Him.